All right. It is good to be back together again. Right? For those of your first year students, it's good to have you join us at this. We're really, really glad you're here. First year students, shout out. Shout out. We're really, really glad you're here. Um, this is the time when I do announcements. Welcome to the announcement time. Here we go. Here we go. Um, it takes a village to do a loft service, and so you get to participate as a volunteer. And there are a number of ways in which we need people to volunteer. Um, you can be a greeter at the door if you're like super friendly and in the winter have a heavy coat. Um, you can be a greeter over here at the door and welcome people in and uh, be sure that they know where they're going. You can be a musician, you can be a dancer, you can be an actor. Uh, you can be a projectionist, we'll train you, right Andrew? We'll train you right back there, like him, yes. Yes, we will. Uh, you can help uh, set up the coffee and cookies, because there is coffee and cookies. These things exist. Yes, yes, there are. Uh, you can be someone who helps. Again, we will train you to do that. If you like to do visual arts, uh, painting, sculpture, we'll put you to work. And then if you want to be a prayer servant, prayer servants are people who either gather, uh, you're either on a team that gathers before worship and you go through the space and you pray for everybody who comes, you pray for the, the worship leading team and you pray for the preacher, um, you pray before or after the prayer servants are um, stationed in the back, they'll have name tags that say prayer servant. And if there's anything that any of you need prayer for in your life or in the life of someone that you know or love, you just go to them and say, I'd like just to spend a minute in prayer for my mom or something. And they do that afterwards. So if you're interested in being a prayer servant, be sure you sign up tonight because the training for that is next week, Sunday at 6. Um, and just because you come to training, you're not like signing your life away. Uh, we put you on a rotation. And even if you go through training and you think, this is not my jam, totally fine. Okay, um, but prayer servant training is next week Sunday at 6, so uh, be sure to sign up. Downstairs, buy the coffee and cookies. There will be um, laptops, and you can sign up for all, and also in the lobby. Okay, we've got options, all right? So uh, lobby or downstairs, sign up for any one of those things. Tell us what you're interested in. That would be great. And then I'm wondering if Tara or Sienna are here to talk about, right there in the front row, Come on up, tell us about the can drive. Guys, let's welcome them up. Hi everyone, it's so great to see all of your lovely faces here at Loft. I'm Tara and I'm Sienna. And we're here to talk to you guys a little bit about the can drive. So this is something that we started last semester. Um, and so basically what we do is we collect cans from all around campus and we take those cans to Meyer and we get the money back. And all of that money goes to the Community Care Fund, which if you guys don't know what that is, that's basically a um, collected pool of money that we also collect here at Loft. And all of that money goes to you students. So so if any of you have um, any sort of financial emergency, so for example, if somebody in your family dies and you don't have enough money to pay for a flight back to um, wherever you live, then that's where that money goes. And it's, it's really here to help you guys out. So last semester, we were able to raise over $600 by um, collecting a lot of cans. And Sienna would love to talk to you guys a little bit about what we're doing this year. 
Yeah, so um, as you can imagine, it's a campus-wide thing, and it takes a lot of time and effort and dedication to make this happen. And Tara and I can't do it alone, so we need the help of all of you great people. So you can be involved by, one, giving us your, um, it's more than just cans, it can be like a carbonated beverage, so if you drink a bottle of Pepsi, you can give us that as well. Um, there are labeled containers, they're blue, they're big blue trash cans almost, they're rectangular. They should be in all of the dorms, and um, I think they're in KE as well, and in some of the academic buildings, so you can do it that way. Or if you would like to get involved by helping us collect them, which we do about every two weeks, and um, it's maybe like an hour every two weeks that we go through all of the buildings and we get them and we have to take the pop tabs off because we also send those to Ronald McDonald's house, which is for um, families that have sick, kids. Yeah, have sick kids and need help paying for housing and things like that. Um, so those are ways you can get involved. If you are interested in maybe learning more about it or um, even if you have a car and you just wanna help us take the cans to Meyer, like that's great too. And if you could only do it once a month, whatever your availability is, we'll work with it. So we're gonna meet for about 10 minutes after Loft right out in the foyer. So if you wanna find out more or just see what we're doing, um, meet with us and we would love to get in contact with you. Thank you. <laughs> For those of you, just to be clear, for those of you who may be from other states or countries, the cans that they're talking about are like the carbonated beverage cans that you drink, not like cans of green beans, just so we're clear, because I know in some states they don't give you a deposit, but in Michigan, when you buy canned beverages and then you return them, they give you 10 cents back for every can. Um, I know, you can make a kajillion dollars, and that's what we're trying to do for you, <laughs> all right? So uh, this is a really easy way for us all to chip in, and they gave you a heads up on the Community Care Fund. We raised $600 uh, via just the cans alone, but every Sunday we take an offering for the Community Care Fund here at Loft. Now you may think, well that's kind of silly, because what population group has less cash on hand than a bunch of college students? Why on earth would you take an offering? Well, an offering isn't simply just about, like, let's see how much money we can all gather together. We're training ourselves in a spiritual practice, that when we come to worship, we don't just come to get, we come to give. And we're part of a community. We don't worship by ourselves, we worship together. And so when we come and we take that offering, it's a way for us to contribute to the needs of each other. So even if, uh, I had one student who said, I gave a 20 the first week and I felt like I'm good the rest of the semester. I was like, that's great, that's totally fine. And if other people who give, like they're very clear, like they're babysitting money, they give 10% of that and 5% goes to their local church and 5% goes to loft. Um, whatever works for you, a buck a week, something like that, just to get in the habit to say, when I go to worship, I'm going as part of a community, I go to give, and I want that spiritual muscle to be strong. Because here's the thing about habits, it's not like when you graduate and suddenly you're like, oh, I have money, now I shall give. Uh, because that habit has to be cultivated. And when you graduate, you'll be like, now I have money, and I have loans to pay back, and I have rent to pay, and I want to buy a pizza. And there are always, <laughs> there are always pressures on your money. There will always be pressure on your money. From now until God calls you home, there will always be pressure on you financially. And so what we do is we develop habits to say, um, I do this out of trust and faith that God cares for me. 
that I can give a buck a week to Community Care Finder, however God prompts you to give. So just so you know, when we give an offering, that's how we do it. Um, and in just a second, we'll put the slide up. Not yet, Andrew, because I have another announcement. Um, we'll put a slide up because you can also text to give, so we'll give you that little heads up in a minute. Um, okay, let me see if I did all my things. All right, we want to give you, two a heads up about um, any off-campus people who may come to campus to lead a Bible study. This happens. There are good churches that come to campus, and they invite you to be part of their Bible studies. Totally great. But every now and then, somebody sneaks through, and this is a less than good group, all right? So we're giving you just some tips to know good Bible study, bad Bible study, okay? Good Bible study, they invite you in, they have cookies, they read the Bible, okay? When you're done, you feel loved, you love Jesus more, you know Scripture more, you feel like it was a good use of your time. They honor you, they honor your studies, right? They're good. Bad Bible study... They make you come and be on time and give you tons of homework that if you don't get done, they chasten you all the time and tell you that you need to do better or God won't love you. Not kidding, that actually happens. Or they give you so much homework that you can't get your actual homework done and you get really stressed because they present it to you as if this is the most important thing in your life and school should take a back seat. All right, that's bad Bible study. All right? If you feel guilty and burdened and more burdened with sin after you have spent time with people, those may not be your people. Okay? And if you've ever been exposed or you start to hang out with some people and you're like, mm, I thought they were here, but they may be over here, come and talk to us. All right? Come find myself, Pastor Joella, Pastor Paul, Pastor Matt, who's uh, home tonight. Come and talk to us, all right? Because. Um, these things happen, and they're very good at what they do. So they can be very sneaky about getting you involved, and you're six weeks in before you realize, I'm, I'm kind of in this thing now, all right? So please come and talk to us, all right? Don't be embarrassed about that. And if you hear of anybody else who's caught up in one of these things, just come and find us, all right? They target Christian college students because they know you're on a campus already where you're here because you love Jesus, and so they try to swoop in and get you even more, all right? And they're just... They're a little bit on the nutty side, okay? So we want to protect you and protect each other from that. So, all right, that's our community covenant. We're looking out for each other that way, okay? Cool. All right. Um, for our slide, we have a Venmo slide. There we go. Look at that. Give online today. So in just a moment, we're going to pass baskets. I know some of you, there's this concept called cash where people carry bills with them. I know, I know, your parents may. But in case some of you still do that and you would like to give via cash, we do actually literally pass baskets. Now, don't be like, oh my goodness, that basket went down three rows and it has nothing in it, because I'm sure all those people gave online, okay? <laughs> uh, so, so just haul out your phone, use the Venmo app, now is your time, let's give as God has blessed us.
So one of the joys that we have together when we worship is to pray for each other. We pray for specific um, residence halls or residences on campus. And then um, we're going to pray for different countries that students come from as well. And so um, the residence that we're praying for today it has nothing to do with chaos night. It just happened to be this, this storm's turn is KHVR. So we're going to pray for them. We're going to pray for them to be humble in the face of victory. So we're going to play for KHDR. And then we're going to play for China. Um, you may have heard during the offertory, that's a song we're going to sing at our blessing time. And that's a song that comes from China. And we're all going to learn Mandarin. No, we're not going to sing it in English. Um, but, but we're going to pray for that. Is there anyone in our, in our group tonight who is from China, Hong Kong, Taiwan? Great. Great. Wonderful. Great. We love that. And so, somebody else say something? What was it? You're welcome. <laughs> We're really glad to do that. And so, uh, and if you have other needs that come up in your life that you think, I would really like corporate prayer for this, I'd like everybody to know, again, just let us know. We're honored to do that. So let's go to God in prayer. God, we are so glad that we have this opportunity to come to you to speak to you. Thank you that you are a God who invites conversation. You speak to us. We listen. You invite us to speak back. Thank you that this is a community that values that conversation, that we get to worship you every day. And we pray for those who plan and lead worship. We pray that you give them joy in what they do. We pray for rehearsal times. We pray for creativity. We pray that their presence among us inspires us all to worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you that this is a community where we can know and be known. And right now, some of us don't feel very known yet. We feel kind of alone. It seems like everybody knows everybody and we don't know anybody. And so, God, we pray for those among us who are feeling lonely tonight. We pray for those who feel incredibly homesick. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you will minister to them and remind them that you know them, that you love them. And Holy Spirit, prompt us, just poke us, so that we can pay attention to people who are feeling lonely and we can move toward them and talk with them and invite them to play Fortnite with us <laughs> or whatever it's gonna take for them to feel like they're part of the community. Help us to keep our eyes open for anyone who may feel lonely, lonely or homesick or in need of a friend. Help them to find that in us. God, we're grateful for a place where we can learn from professors who love you and really know their stuff. And we may already be feeling a bit overwhelmed by looking at all those syllabi and seeing all the things that we need to do. And so remind us, God, that you have called us to be students that this is part of our calling right now, to follow you and use our intellect for your glory. And so help us to be focused on our studies, to do well. Remind us, too, that the faculty here are our partners in learning and that they want to help. We pray your blessing on classrooms all over this campus, that they may be places where your name is lifted up, even as we're studying mathematics or organic chemistry or communications. 
Thank you that it's your name that gets lifted up above all of those things. And God, we do pray for the residences where all these students live. Today in particular, we pray for KHVR. We pray for their RD, for their RAs, for everybody involved in leadership. We pray that this will be a dorm that is marked by gentleness, by deep love for each other, that no one gets left out at KHVR, that this is a community who has each other's backs. Let that be the mark of this dorm this year. May people who meet them know, oh, they must be in KHVR because they are truly lovely human beings. Help us to live into that. And we pray for the country of China. God, we're so aware that being a Christian in some spaces is really difficult in that country. We read the news reports about churches being destroyed and crosses being pulled off buildings And so we pray in the name of Jesus against the forces of darkness that are at work in China, that are threatened by the good news of Jesus Christ. And we pray protection over the church. We pray protection over our friends in Christ who are in China. We pray for all of the pastors, Lord, that you will give them stamina, give them wisdom, give them courage. And Lord, give them the boldness to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, even in the face of discouragement and persecution. God, we pray for China. We pray that in your amazing work, it can become a light to other nations, that the name of Jesus will be lifted there. And we pray that for the country we're currently in. We pray that for the United States. God, we pray for men and women of faith, for people of faith to step forward into leadership, to rally on behalf of the poor and the marginalized and those who are in need. We pray against greed and lust and power and anger, which so seem to dominate our nationwide conversations. Call us in what we do, in our tweeting, in our Facebooks, in our Instagram, Snapchats, whatever. Help us to use language that speaks of who you are and who we are because of you. Because you are a God who cares about words. You're a God who cares about language. And as tonight we open up the Gospel of John, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you work through this old letter, this old word, and make it alive and fresh for us today. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, the Word made flesh. Amen. So we are doing a series this fall on the Gospel of John, and the black books around you are the Bibles. You want to grab one of those. They're right around you. should be in front of you. You may need to share. The black books are the Bibles. If you do not have a Bible and you need a Bible, you are welcome to take one of these Bibles. Uh, Just let us know kind of the area from which you took it so we can replace it. But uh, we want every student to have a Bible. So if that's something that you need, please don't be afraid to take one with you. The Gospel of John is found on page 862, page 862. 62 in the Bibles, and I want you to just hold that open for a minute or stick a finger in it. 
We have students from all over the world and from all places in faith who come to Calvin. And so sometimes I'm going to say things and you think, well, I've known that since I was four years old. But maybe the person next to you is hearing it for the first time. And so this is a place, just like we sing in other languages, we make space for all kinds of people. We also do that when we go to Scripture. Uh, Some of you know Scripture really, really well. And for others of you, you know, someone says, what the book of Hevaniah? And you're like, is that a thing? No, it's not. It's not a thing. It's not a thing. (laughs) But but that's how we practice hospitality also, okay? So just so you know, if I'm saying something and you're like, that's a little basic, it's because, you know, somebody a couple seats down, for them that may be really important information. And for all of us, we can all use a refresher on the basics, right? Yes, I know I can. So when we read Scripture, when we open it up, there are certain things that we want to ask before we even start to read it so that we know that we're getting as much out of it as we can. We want to know who wrote it, to whom, why, when, what language, what culture, what's going on in this passage before we even read it. So the Gospel of John was written by a guy named? Excellent. Well done. Yes, yes. John was one of the 12 disciples. In fact, it was believed that he was a very close friend of Jesus. Sometimes he's called the beloved disciple. Peter, James, and John out of the 12 are the three that often get a little bit extra attention. They're pulled aside for special things. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he looked to John and asked John to take care of his mother Mary. That's John. Now, John is writing this gospel to people who became Christians but were Jews. So Jews who believed Jesus to be the Messiah. And he's writing to encourage them in their faith, to get them to keep believing, because in the time he's writing, certain persecutions are coming up against them, and people are saying, I don't understand why you believe in that guy who died on a cross. That's just foolish. So one of the reasons he writes is to encourage them. Another reason John writes his gospel is to refute some of the heresies that were popping up already in the early church, and we'll look at some of those already tonight. So that's who, that's to whom, that's why. People think he probably wrote it about 68 to 70 AD. That may have been the first draft of what he did. Um, But then they think the final draft may not have been done until right before he died, which was probably around 100 AD. John was the only one of the 12 disciples who was not martyred. He spent time in exile, most likely, may have written the book of Revelation. There's a lot of conversation about that. He did write 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which are letters that we also have in here. And he wrote in the language of Greek, which was the language of conversation, the language of correspondence of the day. So he's a Jew writing in Greek in the context of the Roman Empire. That's what we have going on. And the gospel is written as other people are starting to die off who had a firsthand account. And people are saying, John, you got to write down your stories. And John is different from the other three gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a lot of similarity. There's only 8% of the stuff in John that's found in the other gospels. So John tells us stories in different ways, and he tells them in long ways. We have big chunks of scripture. He He likes to really get into a story. So this is what we're going to learn as we read through and learn from the Gospel of John. Now tonight we're going to read the first 18 verses of chapter 1. This is often called the prologue, the beginning. 
the setting apart, what's coming next. So I'm going to read it all through, and then we're going to go back through it a little more closely, verse by verse, all right? Hear the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light. He came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He, that is the word, was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But... To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glories of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Now imagine that you are a Jew and someone comes to you and says, I want to read you the story about this person named Jesus. And you say, that's great. And they begin and they say, in the beginning, you're going to say, wait a minute, wait, I think you have the wrong book. I know that book. I know how that book starts. That's not about some guy named Jesus. Because John starts his gospel with the exact same phrase that begins the book of Genesis. Way back when. In the beginning. He doesn't do that because he's sitting there somewhere like, how do I start? I just start at the beginning. It's a very good place to start. It's just, <laughs> that's, that's not what he was thinking. He was thinking, I want everyone to understand the significance of what I am saying here. In the beginning, like the, the beginning, the beginning, in the, the beginning was the word. We're like, okay, now you lost me. I got the in the beginning, now you're using it was the word. Help. The Greek word there that he uses is logos, which is an interesting choice of word. It's really hard to explain this. It's an interesting choice of word to say word because what he's talking about there is logos, which is this really multi-layered word that has meaning in Greek and philosophy and it has meaning in Judaism in the Torah and it has meaning in Roman writings as well. That when someone needs something to happen, they speak a word and it does. If someone's in authority and they speak a word, it happens. Let's say someone wanted to create a world and they said, let there be light, and it happened. 
That's the kind of thing. Or let's say a Roman emperor just wanted something to happen. He would just speak it. Let's go conquer that territory, and it would happen. Very messy, not that easy, but not as easy as the creation thing, but it would happen. So you speak something into being, and there's this, this sense of like it is beyond, like the capsulation of the thought of the person, everything that is of the person comes out in the word, all right? So he chooses logos, this layered meaning, which has this meaning of Torah, it has this meaning of God's thought, it has this meaning of layers, but also has this meaning of the second person of the Trinity. Comes to understand uh, himself as word, as wisdom, as knowledge, as fullness. So in the beginning was the word, doesn't communicate a lot to us initially because we have lots of words that are words. But in the beginning was the word, would have given everybody reading this a pause. Like that's something big. So first he says what it is, it's the word. Then he says where it is, it's with God. And then he's clear about what it is, it's God. It is God. The word was God. He was in the beginning, that phrase again, with God. All things came into being through him and without him not one thing came into being. So, if you know the other Gospels, Matthew and Luke both begin by talking about baby Jesus, right? Mark begins with the baptism of Jesus. John begins before the creation of the planet. (laughs) Because one of the heresies that was floating about when he began to write his Gospel was this idea that Jesus was not really God that he was a good guy, and maybe at his baptism, like in Mark's gospel, maybe then at the baptism he got like extra Holy Spirit juice. And that like made him special, but he wasn't really God. And other people are like, well, he was born, so, you know, I don't know about that. That doesn't really make him divine. That throws a whole, some shade on the whole idea. So John's like, no, let me be clear. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning, before anything was made. Everything was actually made through him. Are we clear he was God? That's what he's trying to do right out of the gate. I'm not just talking about somebody who was interesting. I'm not just talking about a good teacher. I'm talking about God. What has come into being in him was life, and that life was the light of all people And then here in verse 5 is the whole spoiler for the whole gospel. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. He's saying the light, which is the word, which is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, the light shines in the darkness. The darkness is all of those forces that oppose Jesus, all of the enemies of the cross of Christ, and they do not win. So imagine you're hearing the gospel for the very first time and they get to the Last Supper and they get to the betrayal and they get to the trial and you think, this is looking bad for this Jesus fellow. This is looking really bad. But then you remember, oh, no, no, at the beginning he said the darkness does not overcome it. Okay, all right, keep going. That's what he wants to say. He's like, I'm going to give you the end of the story already. The, The light wins. The darkness does not overcome it. And then in 6 through 9, we have this little parenthetical statement about John the Baptist. This isn't about 
John, this guy who wrote the book John. It's about John the Baptist, John. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, he has this really profound, in the beginning was the word, and then he's like, by the way, there was this guy named John. It's like, what's that about? Well, again, there was a heresy percolating around at that time that said John the Baptist was the Messiah, not Jesus, and that we should follow John the Baptist. And so right away, he's like, all right, I'm just going to lay out for you the cast of characters. Jesus, Messiah, Son of God, Word. John the Baptist, nice guy, prophet, human being, points to that guy. It's not about him. The story's not about him. It's about this guy. So he wants to be really clear. He himself was not the light. He came to testify to the light. That's what he wants to say about John the Baptist. And then 10. He, the Word, was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. So first he stations Jesus on the planet, and he says, here's this thing. He created the planet. He goes to the planet. The planet doesn't know who he is. But it gets worse than that, he says. It's worse than that. He came to what was his own, his hometown, his people. He came the Son of God, the Messiah, to the people who have been waiting and longing and praying for the Messiah for centuries, and they didn't get him. They did not accept him. So again, he's kind of setting up what's going to happen in the rest of the gospel. But, he says, to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God who were born not of blood or the will of flesh or the will of man, but of God. Now, in Greco-Roman history, they did not have paternity tests. They did not have DNA available. So a father had to claim his child. And he didn't have to always. He didn't have to say, yes, that's actually my child. But when a father claimed a child, that gave the child legitimacy, it gave them inheritance rights, it gave them socioeconomic status. It said that they mattered, that they had a bloodline, that they had a genealogy, that they had an ethnicity, that they had a citizenship, they had a place in the world because their father claimed them. And so what John is saying here was that Jesus totally redid family lines. Because the people who are supposed to accept him did not accept him. Everybody who receives him now gets to be part of this big family. And it's not because of bloodlines. It's not because of ethnicity. It's not because your father claims you. It's because in Jesus, Jesus claims you for the father. He gives you the power to become children of God. Children of God. That's your legitimacy, that's your inheritance, that's your status. Anyone who receives him becomes a child of God. And then we have the verse we read at Christmas. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And this is always used at Christmas because it's the miracle of incarnation. God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, existed before the creation of the world. But in this moment in time, he becomes incarnate, he becomes enfleshed, he becomes human. 
in the womb of a woman. So what you have here is this fully divine being who takes on flesh. The word becomes flesh and dwells among us, lives among us, hangs out with us, has a coffee. This great word about whom he has been praising becomes flesh, like us. And we have seen his glory, the glory is of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Now, if you hang out with President Leroy very much, like I know y'all do, you will hear him eventually talk about that we need to be people of grace and truth. He'll say we need to be grace and truth. We need to be people of grace and truth. And that's because we all know people who lean into the grace and we all know people who lean into the truth. And the grace people are like, oh, it doesn't matter. It'll all be fine. Oh, you just do what you want. Oh, God just forgives. God is God of love. It's all good. Then you have the truth people who are like, hey, we need to be obedient. We need to be faithful. We need to do as God commanded. Let me speak some truth into your life. Here's some areas where I see that you're not really living up to the standard of the Lord. Let's go. Bring it up. Let's go. Right? So we all know people who are a little bit of grace or too much grace. And we all know people a little bit too much truth. And in Jesus, grace and truth come together in a way that we're called to emulate. Grace and truth come together. This forgiveness and this holding accountable come together in such a beautiful way. The word becomes flesh full of grace and truth. And then again, he's got the little verse, just so we're clear about who the characters are. John the Baptist, again, not the Messiah. John testified to him and cried out, and this is a little bit like a riddle. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. Right? It's like, how would you draw that exactly? <laughs> but what John is saying and what he says again and again and again is that he came to prepare the way. We talk about this. If you've grown up in a church that observed liturgical seasons at all, preparing the way. That's Advent, right? Prepare the way. John the Baptist prepares the way for the Messiah. And so John, the gospel writer, just, just so we're clear again, he says, John the Baptist prepared the way for the Messiah. The one who came after him was actually before him because he was for the foundations of the world. Right? That's a fun riddle. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Here again is a nod to all the Jews. The law indeed was given through Moses. The law is valuable. The law teaches us how to have a relationship with God. The law was spoken out. That was God's first word to us was the law, and it matters. And grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. Again, really important to state that as a Jew in the context of a Greco-Roman society when statues of gods are everywhere. And the Jews said, no statues of gods, no images of gods. God is invisible. No one has ever seen God. So it's God, the only son, close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. If you want to know what God looks like, he says, you look at Jesus. Jesus will tell you what God looks like. So that's the dense undergirdings of this first part of the Gospel of John. 
And the language in here is so beautiful and so lofty that in the medieval church, people would take this and write it all out on a little slip of paper and fold it up and put it in a locket and wear it around as a reminder of the divinity and the power of Jesus Christ. They would actually speak these words over newborn babies as a kind of way to protect them. They would speak these words over people who are on their deathbeds, again, as a way to remind them of the power of God. That's the role that this passage has played. In fact, if you look at commentaries of the Gospel of John, so many of them are on this, like, what is he actually saying? What is the logos? What is this about? They go on and they go on and they go on. Believe me. Because there's so much here to unpack. But what's what we can do is get really lost in the weeds of like the high view of Jesus that's in here and forget that what John also gives us is a view of ourselves. So in the prologue, there are two pairs of opposites that he sets up. One is light and darkness. The other is those who receive and those who reject. Light, darkness, those who receive, and those who reject. And that's going to come out as we read the rest of the Gospel of John. In fact, anytime something in the Gospel of John happens at night, pay attention. That's a darkness thing. Anytime he explicitly says it's happening in the day, that's a daytime thing. That's a light thing, all right? Clues. And he gives us clues when people receive and when people reject. Now, I don't know where you are right now. I don't know if you're here because your floor came and you're a little meh on the Jesus stuff, but you thought, I have nothing better to do, I will do this. I don't know if you are all in and fired up for Jesus and you're so glad to be at a Christian college where you can talk about him. I don't know if you're here because your parents said, here's a list of five Christian colleges, pick one. And I don't know if you're here despite your parents saying, we don't understand why you're a Christian and why you would spend money on a Christian college. I don't know. You know. Maybe the people sitting around you know. But I do know this. There's darkness in every life. There's darkness in every life. Maybe some of you hate your body. And now that you're living closely with people of your own age, you're reminded of that all the time. Maybe some of you are addicted to pornography and there is so much shame about that you have told no one. Maybe your parents' marriage is ending and you don't even know how to talk about it. Maybe someone you love died recently and you just carry that. There's darkness in every life. And there's a lot of darkness in our world. Dictators rule, refugees abound. Whether it's clergy people from the Protestant church or clergy people from the Catholic church, the church is having a lot of public problems. Every life has darkness. 
And so the good news that John offers, the good news that he reminds us of, is that the darkness doesn't win. It's like if you've read all of the Harry Potter books and then you watch the Harry Potter movies, you will have moments when you are so engrossed in the movie. And Harry and Hermione are in Godric's Hollow and they're in the top of that place and they follow the creepy woman and now the creepy woman has turned into the snake and the snake is attacking them and you are freaking out and you are yelling at the screen and suddenly you remember like, oh wait, no, this is not how the story ends. Right, that's right, okay. Okay, right, all right, just gotta breathe, I can pause it, I can just take a minute, get that stupid snake out of there, and continue. What John says is that those who receive Jesus, those who receive him, who are given power to become the children of God, they get to know how the story ends. For those who receive Jesus, they get to know that the light wins in the darkness. The snake gets killed in the end. Evil loses in the end. Darkness loses in the end. Pornography loses in the end. Divorce loses in the end. Body image garbage loses in the end. Yeah, yes, praise God. Praise God. All of the darkness that we carry inside of us, all the stuff we are too ashamed to say out loud, all of that loses in the end. And so what John says to us is you are a child of the Most High God. You are a child of the one who was here before the foundations of the world. You get to live that way. You get to live like people who know how the story ends. You get to live as children of the light. And so you get to move forward and say things like, hi, I'm addicted to porn and I need help. And because of Jesus Christ, I will not live in shame anymore. Because you are a child of God, you get to look in the mirror and say, God made me and he values me and I'm going to value me and take care of me. I had a friend who really struggled with body image and she traveled overseas where she had just a really small mirror for about six weeks. And she realized that she didn't worry about it anymore until she came home and she had a big mirror. And so she took out big sheets of paper and she just covered the mirror, except for the place where she like needed you know, be sure she had nothing in her teeth. She just kept that, but she covered it. She said, that was so helpful to me. What's, what's the thing, what's the darkness that tonight God is saying, come on, step into the light. You are my beloved child. You are precious and chosen by me. You have the power to become the children of God. The word became flesh and lived among us because he loves us. The word became flesh and lived among us, so he knows what it's like to have a hangnail. He knows what it's like to have like a snarl in his hair, like he walked through like bursts and it's like, what is in my hair? Like he gets that. <laughs> he knows what it's like to feel like people are shorter or taller than he is. He knows what it's like to have people who are like fatter or thinner than he is. He knows what it's like to be human. 
Jesus knows what it's like to be us. Jesus knows what it's like to move toward the darkness. Jesus knows what it's like to rise in light. And that's what God invites for us. Don't let the darkness win. Tonight, God says to us, in the beginning, in the beginning, I knew your name. In the beginning, Jesus, in the beginning, for you, in the beginning. The word became flesh and lived among us because he loves us. And we know how the story ends. Will you pray with me? Thank you, God, for these amazing words of John, these words which seem like a riddle, which seem like a poem, which seem beyond us, the words that remind us that when we receive Jesus, we become children of God, children of the Most High. We get to live as people of light. And so help us, Holy Spirit, right now, to be aware of the dark areas and not afraid of them, to be courageous as children of light, to celebrate who you are, and to celebrate who we are because of you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.